This episode is brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is the number one tool for all podcasters. You can record high fidelity audio between remote locations and get studio quality sound. Go to Zencaster.com and use coupon code that entertains for 20% off for three months or 20% off an annual plan. Everything is awesome is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, movie, and geek podcasts. Check out some of our other shows like TV Ate My Brain, Let's Chat with Revelant Friends, and Podstalgic at courtsandparts.com. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I am your host, Kevin. This is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. And I am very excited for this week's episode. Before we get there, just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, we could use your support to help spread the good word of awesome. Uh, you can support us in, in several different ways. Um, one of the best ways to support us to help us do bigger and better things is patreon.com slash that entertains. I promise that will be updated uh, by the time the Philadelphia Podcast Festival comes around. Um, but that Patreon helps uh, cover hosting fees. And as it continues to grow, it will help cover emergency funds for all the podcasts on the that's entertainment.com um, or that entertains.com podcast network. Uh, it will help us go uh, tour, uh, do more panels at conventions, and just um, just do more cool things and, and bring on shows and, and pay our talent and stuff like that. So uh, that Patreon is very, very important, but it's not the only important thing. Uh, obviously, we live at a time where maybe spending money on uh, a podcast isn't something you can do. Uh, supporting us for a dollar is cheaper than a cup of coffee, but if you can't do it, I understand. So you can always leave us a five-star uh, rating and review on iTunes. Those help us climb the charts and get more ears in front of this podcast so that we can, again, organically grow our audience and, and, and do bigger and cooler things. And, of course, word-of-mouth recommendations. Um, I'm going to try to get through our housekeeping today because we have a big pack show, but I got to talk about the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. That's right. The Philly Podcast Fest is coming back for the sixth year in 2018, uh, and it kicks off on June 22nd at Good Good Comedy with eavesdropping on America. You can go to phillypodfest.com, so I'll schedule for the full schedule, but here is just a sample of the lineup. On the 23rd is when the first weekend really gets into gear at uh, Tattoo. Moms, you have a quest for magic and steel, popping bottles, and dissecting the 80s. Uh, Amalgam Comics and Coffee House, one of my favorite spots in the city. You have All My Fancy Children with Jeff Stormer, voice of Free Planet X, and Victims and Villains, among many other shows. You also have shows going on at Fit That Day with We Got This. And then the next day, June 24th at T Moms, you have 
uh, what the Broad Street Live, you have American Immigrant, you have Alt Black, Red Caps Corner, which I believe is new to the festival this year, as far as uh, a venue is concerned, will be hosting Party of One. Again, Jeff Stormer kicking it up that weekend. It's an all-Jeff weekend. The following weekend uh, kicks off on the 29th at the Rubik Club with My Gay Agenda, Sarah and Andrea share a smile and a sex with Mary. And then uh, on the 30th at Tattooed Moms, we have uh, two of my favorite podcasts, Doom Thugs, really good uh, podcast from Delco. Love those guys. Number one podcast in Delco, mind you. Uh, and of course, Blacklisted with my boy Nubius Black and Chaos, my boys, I should say. Uh, my old wrestling pals do a podcast called Blacklisted. So check that out on the 30th. And then the last day, July 1st at Tattooed Moms. At 1 p.m., Everything is Awesome kicks off the last day of the festival. And the last day of the festival is packed with some amazing, amazing shows. Uh, I've already mentioned Everything is Awesome. And then it just gets better from there. Full Belly Laughs, Nerd with Words, uh, and, and so many more. Uh, it's it's going to be a great festival this year. I'm really excited. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tighter uh, schedule this year. Not as packed. Um, and it's, it's just... Um, so many venues uh, across the board that that are there uh, beyond what I mentioned, and and it's um it's just it continues to grow, and I really really love this this festival. I'm glad that I get to be part of it. I'm glad that I get to help run it. Uh, I was only available one day this year, but uh, Philadelphia Podcast Fest. Go to phillypodfest.com/schedule for the complete schedule. But make sure you support all the shows that you can, and uh, especially come support us at Tattooed Moms on July 1st uh, from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. We're kicking things off, and I'll probably be hanging out the whole day there. Uh, this week's guest, BJ Mendelson. Uh, what a amazing guest that I had to... Uh, he started following me on Twitter for some random reason, and I followed him back, and then eventually, like months later, I started like looking at his tweets and then looking at his website, and I was like, oh, i got to have this guy on the show. He's an author, he's a speaker, a writer, a creator... A mall Santa? More on that in the show. Uh, we talk social media and technology, including gaming. I'm not going to keep you from the show any longer. Here is my conversation with the one and only BJ. So you are a, a an author, speaker, uh, and you know a self-proclaimed mall Santa, according to your website. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, but I want to. The speaking thing interests me because I also saw some podcasts on your site, and obviously I'm, I'm interested in that as well. But uh, it sounds like I would have to guess, just based off of the the what I saw on your site, you I would guess you put yourself as writer first. Well, Mall Santa always, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, probably yeah, author right, author slash writer first. Uh, speaker is usually last. In whatever combination they put it in. So let's like start with your origin point with with writing. Um, where did that interest or when did that interest start? Well, I came from like a, a typically dysfunctional household. You know, <laughs> dad wasn't around, mom wasn't available. Uh, so I needed some sort of creative outlet for all my teenage angst. <laughs> and in my case, writing was it. And I just kept at it and... I had some early success during your, you know, when the back before social media, uh, there used to be these sites that would just link out to like all sorts of content. And I had some early success with that, uh, writing stuff like the universal breakup card, uh, which was featured on Boing Boing and that did that blew up. And so 
I just kept at it, and I, I found that I fell ass backwards into some writing success early on, and and never stopped. So, and and uh, you started writing before the the grand social media, uh, you know, experiment that I guess we're still kind of going through with all these different social media things. Is did that help? Because I know, and you'll have to help me with the title here, because I, I just kind of curiously saw it on the website but you wrote a, a book about social media and kind of its uh maybe false promises yeah so what i found is i've been i've been putting stuff out on the internet since about 19 let's say 1998 and i've been doing advising and consulting with different companies like ogilvy and sears back when sears was the thing uh and sprint and a few others in that time so i kind of had that perspective of the internet before what we call social media and the internet after. And really what the book is about is that not much has changed. The only thing that changed was we had basically this group of assholes uh, come come out of nowhere and they were like, wow, social media is this new and amazing thing. And you know, it, it'll make you rich beyond your wildest dream. It'll give you the voice equal to that of like a CNN. And so the book was kind of like, well, let's, let's calm down here. Uh, these, these tools can be great, but they don't work the way that we often think that they do. Uh, yeah, well, and that's, it's cause it's, I was thinking about this the other day about how, uh, like the internet kind of, like the face of it at least has changed. Like, and, you know, I, I, I grew up with the internet. I'm a, I was born in 84. So like, you know, I, I grew up with computers and technology as it aged, I, I aged with it. And, and I think I'm finally kind of hitting the point where maybe it's aging beyond me and it's getting too advanced for me, but, uh, it's, it, you know, the kids today all they know really is social media but uh, something that like they're they're not getting the the chat room experience that like AOL brought us back in the in the the 90s uh and I, is that like the you know quote unquote social media of like the the origin point i guess well, I think the biggest difference, so I'm a year okay. older than you. Uh, I was born in 83. And so, yeah, I had, you know, I had computers in the classroom and I had the internet really early on. Uh, so I, I was ashamed to admit that when like the Nashville Predators were put into the NHL as an expansion team, I had the internet and I was stupidly <laughs> excited about it. I have no idea why, because uh, I'm not a Predators fan and I'm not from Nashville, but I was really excited because uh, I guess they had one of the first team website. So I think the biggest difference between now and then is that okay. it's portable and you actually have it in your pocket. You can take out your phone and what uh, fewer and fewer people are actually using a laptop and are actually using a desktop computer unless they need it for work. Or if you're like me and you're a writer, you need the keyboard and you don't quite trust like the iPad Pro or the Surface keyboards for whatever reason. So that that's really the only significant, significant I can't talk today, uh, change. And I'll give you a great example of that. So Facebook um, behind behind the scenes is really no different than MySpace, which is no different than Friendster, which is no different than Classmates.com. So, I mean, these social networks have existed almost as long as the web has. You know, Wik, uh, Wikimedia has existed as a company and organization almost as long as the web has. So nothing has really quite changed except that we can experience it without being a computer. And that's, uh, you know, something that myself, I'm guilty of, of like having my phone out probably when I shouldn't. And uh, just, you know, the today's generation just kind of being right in the, you know, having it right in their face. Uh, and I do agree. Like the, I actually, I prefer a laptop over, you know, a tablet, but like even business, I guess it depends on the business, but like, you know, the place I work at is, right 
like they just they they came to me and say hey can you find out what it's going to be to get a whole bunch of surface pros and i'm like come on guys like like that's not what we need and, and maybe that's just the curmudgeon in me but uh yeah it's 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 uh everything it's I, I don't know it's it's like a weird cycle of everything everyone's something smaller and more portable but then like when you give that to them uh they like with phones for instance they want everyone wanted smaller phones 15 years ago and now like if you don't have a phablet or whatever they call the phone tablets uh, they're right. up in arms yeah, it seems it's it's going in the other direction now. Um, you know, because we're at the point where everyone from our generation—I I <laughs> yeah. hate the term millennial—because uh, because I think that there's a big difference between kids that were born in like '83, '84, '85, and then kids that were born yeah. in '92, '93, '94. But yet we're all lumped together as like this one big group, and so yeah, everything has gone backwards to wanting the tablet-sized phone. Uh, now you have AR and VR where you got to have the headset and all the gear that goes with that. So the experience, even if it's not like a specific computer, you're wearing all this gear on you uh, in order to be like fully immersed within VR, AR. So uh, it's, it's funny how it works, but I, I found that, you know, I have a mm. 2013 MacBook Air and I have absolutely no reason mm -hmm. to buy anything new uh, because it, it does everything that I could possibly need to do because we, we've gotten to the point where it doesn't matter how big the device is, the internet is right there and you can play with it and access all the things you want. I, I think the only thing you can't really do on your phone successfully or, or do well is download <laughs> yeah, porn. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned the the, the um, generational thing because I've had a uh, hard time, like, understanding how I'm a millennial myself because, like, I, while I grew up with technology, I, I it's, I, I still remember all the analog stuff too. And I read an article somewhere that it's someone coined this neat phrase that puts us right in between Gen Xers and, and millennials called Xennials. Uh, and I think that makes sense. Like, I mean, yes. I, I don't really care for the name, but like if it's finally like a nice group uh, to that separates us out from those, these young kids out there uh, because you know, it's, it's like, for me, I'm, I'm again, I mentioned it earlier. I'm at that age where I start, I start to not understand certain things like, so like Snapchat as a social media thing, I I've never understood it. Uh, and it's like one of the big things that all the kids are using. Right. So all these new, and, and I guess, you know, it's the same way as like my, my uncle who was, you know, 16 years older than me, like he knew like AOL chat rooms and classmates maybe and whatnot. And then when uh, Facebook and, and Twitter came around, he was, all right, I'm, I'm, uh, that scares me. I'm out. I'm out. And that's all I am about like all the new, like Snapchats. And I don't even know what is out there as far as social media, aside from like the big three, Facebook, Twitter. And, and for me, LinkedIn is like the third big one. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly those, um, Snapchat less and less. So Instagram is always popular, although people don't realize it's owned by Facebook and, yeah. um, you know, they got, you got stuff like house party. So just to give you an idea of how, how big that difference is between people all in the millennial group, I was going out with this girl, who's 10 years younger than me. Uh, and we both liked the Goo Goo Dolls and we were listening to the music and, and one of the songs came out. I said, oh, I remember when this came out. And she turned to me and she's like, yeah, I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> so just to get like that, and we're all part of the same generation technically. Yeah. So, you know, typically when you think of people that are in the same generation, you, you share musical tastes and things like that. But I, I yeah, I think that Zenial is probably a more accurate term. I, I think that the biggest difference between us on the older end and the millennial, uh, the, the, yeah, the actual millennials on the younger end, 
is they're more comfortable without using a keyboard. Yeah. Uh, you know, what made Snapchat and Instagram so popular is you don't need a keyboard. It's all visual. It's just mm. taking a picture and then altering it in some way. And so they've become really comfortable with that. And, uh, you know, I, I found, I mentioned this the other day to someone where you, you got to remember New York City at the turn of the 1900s was chalked full with horseshit. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was horses everywhere because that was the primary mode of transportation. And then one day some asshole comes along and they're driving a car. And, you know, you had, you had the entire generation of people who grew up with a horse and that was what they were accustomed to. They had no idea what this thing was. And there was not like a ton of roads either back then. So they would just drive it all over the place. And, and yeah, I think every group goes through that where they there's just a moment where they're kind of like, all right, this is this is a little beyond me, but I, I try real hard to stay up with things. You know, I, I'm pretty current with uh, what XR, which is just a joint term for augmented reality and virtual reality, okay. which is probably going to be the, the, the big thing going forward. Yeah. And I, you know, virtual reality and I, uh, yeah, I, I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess maybe it's a combination. No, I guess it's just virtual reality. That was something that like, I, I, I thought I was going to be like, nope, that's when I'm out. That's like you know, video games when it's involving walking around and stuff. I'm going to be completely out of it. But uh, up in uh, Madame Tussauds Wax House, at least, I don't know if it's still there, but they had the Ghostbusters VR, the Void uh, right. uh, game. And it was actually like it was the first VR experience I've had where I was like, oh, this is something that I like maybe when I am an old man, I'll still be playing the the new whatever the new thing for video games is. Uh, and it is a, um, like the, the star Wars, I don't know the name of the app, but the, the hollow chess that was part of it you, where you need the whole, the whole headgear to play it. They finally made it to where you, where you just need your phone. So like I was start, and that I guess is more augmented reality. Cause it's, you just throw it on like your right. own tabletop. Uh, and it is like, that is, uh, while I still prefer my console gaming, um it is that's like a neat uh i guess i don't know if it's gonna be a fad but uh, the next step the next generation of gaming it is kind of neat to see that that's you know going to be for someone maybe not maybe not my go-to but it's going to be there well you know what's hilarious is that even vr is a very old technology like it dates back to the 50s so yeah it's not anything new it's just that the technology has very i mean when we were kids there was virtual reality. We had the oh, Nintendo, I the Nintendo. Uh, Virtual yep, Boy. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. There was the Virtual Boy. Uh, there was a couple of arcade games that used holograms, which is basically augmented reality. So for, for people at home uh, to tell the difference, if it's it, this is reductive, but uh, if it's a completely enclosed experience where you're wearing a headset, it's virtual reality. If it's something where you're interacting with your environment, it's augmented reality. Uh, and I, I can I know there's a few nerds that I'm friends with that will fight me. <laughs> Over that, over that description, but that's that's the difference yeah. between the two. And eventually, what will happen is it'll it'll just sort of be the same headset that you switch back and forth. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that like, yeah, I, I don't find that I'm gonna have the experience that my dad did, you know, because he grew up with like Pong, yeah. right, and in, in the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. And I remember he was able to play games up until the PlayStation. <laughs> and then what, once the PlayStation came out, he's like, "There's too many buttons, and I just I can't." I can't keep up with it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that won't happen with yeah. these technologies. Well, and I mean, really with those uh, technologies, at least the, the, the VRs and the ARs, it seems like there's less buttons. Like if that's the worry, it's, it's, they're not at, I mean, it is strange that they still found a way to go from like the, the first generation PlayStation to the second and third generation, adding more buttons. 
uh, the the extra the, like I forget what they are because I, I don't I, I don't I, I'm now an Xbox guy so I actually forget but like right. it's it's they they were able to add buttons from like from PS one to P I remember there being more buttons and. I mean, just look at the just look at the Xbox 360 controller compared to like a PlayStation mm-hmm. One controller. Yeah, you know, you got the you got the analog switches on there and the extra shoulder buttons. And it's I can understand like it's it's intense. If you are not if you are not a gamer, and I were to take an Xbox controller and put it in front of you, I, I, I could see people kind of like freaking and out. And it's, it's definitely like changed the way how I think first person shooters operate. Like. I used to love GoldenEye, and I think everyone has loved GoldenEye. Uh, and that yeah. was like a, a game where I was at least on an equal playing field with, let's say, 90% of my friends. And I had a couple that were just way too good. Uh, but as as you've added more <laughs> buttons and and whatnot to these games, like I'm, I'm on the bottom rung of first-person shooters because you just have to have like the the reaction time and the the mindset to be I guess know what the hell you're doing <laughs> and I like I like like uh, the last I think one I played was like Call of Duty two or something and like I liked it I was good enough but not great and it doesn't seem like it's too crazy but I've played some where I'm like I just guy like all I'm doing is dying like if I play <laughs> multiplayer I just die every single time it's no longer fun to be that guy yeah though no, this is why I'm a supporter of Major League Gaming. Because uh, I do think that it's a, it's a highly developed skill set uh, that, oh, yeah. that those guys have, where you know it, it's not so easy to get the timing down and the mindset, and uh, just the, your hand eye coordination has to be as good as a professional athlete in some cases. So yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy that where there's definitely a divide between people that you know have the Xbox as their Xbox One as like their first system versus people who had like the PlayStation as their first system who are trying to catch up. I, I know that my niece, she's four now, but uh, she could probably wipe the four of me uh, <laughs> with an Xbox when she old enough to have one. Yeah, uh, it is my, my, I have a son who is six and uh, my daughter who is, will be four soon. And, uh, you know, he's just kind of figuring it out uh, and like able to like play the game. Like, I feel like when you're a kid, the biggest obstacle to, to a game is kind of the, the, the 3d landscape of it all where, you know, I think like naturally almost like my kids seem to want to play a 2d scrolling game, like a regular Mario. Cause he was like way more successful at that than he was at say Assassin's Creed. Right. Um, and now he can play Assassin's Creed and be able to navigate the world without too much of an issue. Every now and then he gets a little lost. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I can't imagine I mean, I guess when, when the, I mean, I don't know what, the, I guess the first game I really remember is probably Mario, but like there was literally four directions, I guess really only three directions you could go unless you were just, unless you can't falling is down. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, when the games, you know, that I started out with, you only had to know like maybe a, a, at most like a two or three button combination to do a series of moves. And now it's like, I don't know, you could probably get up to like a, a like a, 10 button combination to to successfully do one move and that's what these kids are growing up with yeah i mean if you did mortal kombat's a great example of that uh if, if you want to do a fatality in mortal kombat one with scorpion it was block up up but but now if you look at whatever the current version of it there is at least like seven different buttons and motions you need to make in order to pull it off 
Yeah, and, and Mortal Kombat again. That's another great example of a game that, like the early series, I was I loved and I was able to play. And I guess maybe fighting games in general, I was able to play. I was good at. You know, uh, you didn't have to do too much to to pull off like an epic move. And now, as you said, it's it's almost near impossible for me to do it uh, because I just don't have the patience. Like the reason Telltale games exist are for people like me who like just want to <laughs> have that story interaction and be able to like kind of shape it by pressing two or three buttons. Yeah. I think that they certainly, I mean, that's definitely an underserved audience uh, in the gaming market is that there's a lot of people our age who would very much like, uh, simplified controls and a good story. And I just don't see a lot of content out there beyond what they do. Well, and that's why I think like the NES uh, classic and the SNES classic were so like s- such big hits is that they were right. straight up catering to us. Yeah. I, you, by, you know, th- those, uh, those devices have a couple of downsides to them. Uh, you know, you don't have wireless controls for that was to me, the biggest one is that I had to sit as close to the TV yeah. as I possibly could, uh, which brought me back to the old days, right? Because that's how you yeah. had to do it. Uh, yeah, but uh, you're right. I think those things did so well because there was a lot that pent up demand. I mean, gaming is a gaming is a rough industry to turn a profit in. So I, you know, I totally understand why they're targeting like teenagers who are getting their parents' money uh, to pay sixty, seventy dollars for a game, whereas you got people our age who are like, uh, we've got money, but you know, why don't we have? any games to play with yeah and it's it's a i mean and i guess you know for as you're an adult it's also time like for me time is the big factor is why i don't right. you know i could buy all these games and they just end up sitting on my on my uh, entertainment center for a year like there's i want to say uh it's i think final fantasy 13 and and uh, uh skyrim are two games that i got relatively close to the release or i got as gifts relatively close to the release and they're still sitting on my shelf wrapped <laughs> like right. I have, and, and they've been out for years. So, uh, yeah, gaming is, uh, definitely, you know, I think I, I want to say a young person's game, but it's definitely, it's, it's not a, a parent's game. If you, if you're a parent, it's, it's really hard to game until your kid's old enough to do it with you. Well, I mean, that's why Nintendo was so successful. So like I was, when I was first starting out, I was a game journalist for this company called Uwire. Okay. Uh, which was which was later bought by CBS, and so like I had the Wii a month before anyone oh, nice. else did, and I was like, okay, I understand that you don't need to know anything. Like my grandmother uh, can, and in a couple cases did know how to operate yeah. the, with the games for the Wii, and so that's why I think that you know Nintendo does as well as they do is they realize that Sony and Microsoft don't, for financial reasons, they really can't make all the games for everybody. You know, they got to focus on. Uh, two or three AAA titles and everything else just sort of falls by the wayside. And Nintendo was like, no, we're, we're for everybody. Uh, this is why we're awesome. And no, uh, you know, they've certainly fucked up here and there. The, the Wii U is a good example, but uh, the Switch is, the, you know, exactly yeah. what we're talking about, where it, it's simplified and everyone can pick it up. And well, that's, and, and I, I did end up buying a Wii U. And honestly, I, it was probably the worst. And I bought it like after, like, I knew better. Like, I, I didn't think they were going to come out with another right. system anytime soon. And I mean, I probably, I've had it and I, I haven't gotten my Switch yet, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably buy within, like, by summer's end, I'll, I'll pick one up. 
Um, but the Wii U, like I, I've played very rarely. It's actually more of a system for the kids now because it's again, it's it's a little bit simpler, um, especially for my four year old, where they can just pick it up and play. You know, even the newer Mario, they make you know t- side scrolling f- with 3D effects or whatever. Um, but yeah, the Wii U was, uh, I, yeah, I guess a misstep. Uh, but the the Switch is such a genius move um, for, you know, I think for like adult i mean all gamers but for like adult gamers specifically uh where you maybe don't have all the time in the world to sit down and play a game but you can just take the console with you and and play it on the train or you know i can sit outside at lunch and and play it on my lunch break uh that is like i feel like that makes me a bigger gamer is is the ability to take the whole system with me versus like yeah i'd play more xbox games if i could not play them at home you know yeah, I think it, uh, it was kind of genius in the sense that people's so more and more people are moving to cities. There's a statistic by like, I think it's by 2025, 80% of the United States population will be living in the city. And those cities haven't kept up with infrastructure and improvements on mass transit. So you've got a lot of people who are spending like an hour on the F train, you know, they get from Queens to Midtown Manhattan. And, and that's what I see a lot of on the subway is people that are around our age and sometimes a little younger and sometimes a little older. Uh, they're all playing Zelda. You know, they're all yeah. playing the Switch. They all got Mario Kart. And so I, I think maybe Nintendo didn't quite understand because I just, you know, I know people that work for their marketing department. So I don't know if it was intentional or not, but they they certainly stumbled into this, this category of uh, young professionals who have these really super long commutes. Yeah. And have nothing to occupy them with, and the switch was perfect for that. Yeah, and it's and it's like I said, it's and I I want to say maybe like me a friend of mine were talking about it, and and the initial time, and I really haven't followed up since then, but like it was marketed as, hey, this console that also happens to be portable, and it's like no, 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 the way you market that is, it's a portable system that's also a console that you just plug in right. and dock, because like the you know it's still to my understanding doesn't have the power of the of its you know competitors so yeah not even close. yeah so so if if you're trying to compare it as a console it's going to lose but as a portable handheld system it's it's beyond it's you know uh anything else that's out there like it's better than a phone it's it's uh it's yeah i, I, I guess the other companies really don't have any uh handhelds anymore like does sony even make um a, their psp anymore I, I haven't seen a new one i'm not sure yeah I think that I think that they've abandoned it because uh, they did Vita, and then I think that they've kind of left it alone. Uh, but I mean, for me, the Switch has replaced the phone. Uh, it hasn't replaced the iPad because I watch movies on that mm. when I'm flying. Uh, but any game that I was playing on the phone is now completely secondary to whatever I can get on the Switch. Yeah, and and I'll, you know, I would say the same thing would happen when or will happen when I get my Switch because the I'll play a game on my phone, and it might last a week or two before like. You know, all right, unless I'm A, paying money, or B, I'm okay with just literally doing the same thing over and over again, uh, it, it loses its value. And, and I, you know, I, I will never pay for fake money. Like, I'm not that guy where I'm like, hey, let me pay 100 real dollars for 100 coins to get further in this game. Uh, so, you know, the Switch is a 100% replacement for, I think, the, the mobile gamer. Uh, you know, and, and if you're, like, you know, if you're like me where, oh, the only time I really get to play games is like on my phone. Oh, God, that Switch is a, is a lifesaver uh, and I can't wait to have my hands on it now. <laughs> like, I just, I feel like I should pick it up tonight after this conversation. 
And and think of it this way: the money that you save on data, yeah, that you're, that you're expending on the phone could be saved if you switched over to the Switch. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is a neat thing that Nintendo stumbled upon, and I actually like. I, I can't imagine what they would do after the switch. Like, cause that's something that I had always said, you know, prior to the switch was be, Oh, it'd be great if you like, you could just take these high end end games with you on the go. Like, I think that's the one thing that um, PlayStation and Sony kind of did where you were like with certain games, you were able to like final fantasy seven, for instance, I believe you were able to like sync it to your, your PSP. And and you and I never tried this theory, but I, I, there was some weird setting that lets you do it. Uh, and and I was like, oh, that's neat! I can play this game home or on the go. And Nintendo's perfected that, so I don't know where you go from that. Like to me, the next logical step is like more of like a universal console station that plays games from all three of the big guys. Yeah, I think they're pushing towards that. Uh, Microsoft has, for example, kind of said. Yeah, the Xbox is the Xbox, but we want to own your entire living room. So yeah. we want one device to rule them all. And the only way to get to that point is going to be Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft just putting their stuff out on one console. I, it'll get there eventually. I, I don't think that well, just with the general trend of you know people having Apple TV in their house or they have the Amazon Fire or the Google Chromecast, that uh, the only killer app that they have that those other things ha- don't have is the games. Yeah, I, it's yeah. Oh, it, any chance that these companies kind of make money. I mean, Sega did it, where we saw Sega co- almost completely leave hardware. Uh, I mean, I know they have a Genesis Classic that's like coming out, but yeah. aside from that, you know, they just said we're going to make software and we're going to play it out on every device, and that's that's sort of going to be it. So sooner or later, we'll get there. Yeah, and I think um, the you know the Xbox is the kind of the way to go. Like, I, and I don't have a PS4, but just. Based off like the 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 devices I have from Nintendo, Xbox, and Sony, Xbox One being the newest one, like it it makes the most sense to like, hey, let's just have a Nintendo app or something like that. And it's it's and and I guess really like if you could kind of maybe do something that's a, a, a one unit for your your entire living room, but they can also you know take what the what the Switch does and and you can somehow bring it with you on the go. Like that would be the perfect marriage of of those systems. Yeah. I think the technology is almost there too. Like I was just thinking if, if you could have a portable Xbox one experience, um, that would be fantastic. They're a few years away from that <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that that's, that's generally the direction it will go and it should be pretty interesting to see. And uh, again, I think it, it, uh, it, although I, you shouldn't maybe have your face in front of a device all day long, uh, <laughs> in a world where, you know, if your phone's like for me, my, like, and I don't, I drive to work. I, I don't, I live in the suburbs, so I don't have to deal with Philly transit at all. But like anytime I do, I, I'm all I'm doing is I'm rarely playing a game on my phone. Sometimes I might, but I'm usually on wasting time on facebook or twitter or maybe even and maybe you won't maybe some people won't call this a waste of time but maybe i'm reading some stupid article or something uh I've, that's the portability of of, of a, a real video game system whether it be the switch or like a portable xbox one or something like that uh it feels like it has way more value than you know, for that hour that i'm doing nothing on facebook versus you know a video game it's uh yeah i love the you know 
as much as I hate technology, being an IT person, uh, right. you know, I, I do love some aspects of it. And this is it. Like I get giddy over, you know, the, the, the fun technology, fun tech. Yeah, I mean, understandably so, because Facebook, I mean, there's been more than enough research that's come out over the years saying it's tied to depression. Mm-hmm. You know, it, people are not presenting their true selves and you kind of get like this warped per- perception of reality by just scrolling through your newsfeed or on Instagram, scrolling through your your feed on there. And so we've, we've seen more than enough negative effects of just immersing yourself in social media versus gaming where we found the exact opposite. We found that it's regenerative, it's, it's restorative. It's good for your brain. It's good for your eyes. It's good for your hand-eye coordination. It's good for your mind. It relaxes you. Uh, so any any chance that we can get for people to play games over using social media, I'm all for. And I think that we'll see that with the self-driving cars too. I, I oh, think yeah. that well, eventually, I mean, it's, it's it's not as close as I'm sure they want everyone to think it is, but we will get to a point where you just sit in the car and they have an entertainment system set up. And so you could have this choice of like, Facebook or Mario. And I, I think that most people are going to go with Mario. Oh, I mean, I think, you know, if, if there was a, you know, better Mario game on, on the iOS, that would be a right. game that I would play. I mean, that's, that's the problem with that Mario game is it's just like every other iOS or Android game. It's, it's, you do, you, you play it for really 15 minutes and that's just the game you're going to end up playing for the, the next week. If, if you stick to it. Uh, so, so self-driving cars and maybe I, I, I'm buying into it, but doesn't, uh, Tesla like have the ability with their, uh, and I don't know if you know, but with their cars to like self pull up to your, 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 the front of your house and like self, like you get out of the front of your house and it will go park itself in the driveway or am I making that up? Yeah. So no, I used to be an editor at a site called wonder how to, and one of the, one of our verticals was entirely based on driverless cars. So it's it's more of an issue of the technology is certainly there right now. I mean, we have self-driving cars on the road in California and Arizona, despite uh, the the incident that occurred last month. Uh, there's just the car only knows what it mm. knows, and that's sort of what the issue is. So the car knows how to parallel park because it's a simple set of tasks. The car knows uh, how to pull into your driveway because it, it's relatively simple. But the car wouldn't know what to do with like a rabid Wolverine jumped down to the road and started attacking the driver in front of you. Yeah, like it, 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 so that's sort of the issue that we have. And we saw that in Arizona where uh, there was someone crossing the street, but they weren't using the crosswalk. And so the car hit them. And so that that's sort of the limitation that they have right now. It's not that they don't know, but uh, it, it's just that they can't account for all these different possibilities. Uh, the good news is uh, every time there's another self-driving car on the road, they teach each other. Oh, interesting. Again, that's like a really reductive way to put it. And I'm sure, again, I'll get into a fight with someone uh, who's like an engineer working in that space. But that's basically what happens is the more that these cars are out there, uh, they, they're sending data to each other saying, oh, well, uh, you know, on this turn, you've got the probability that a deer is going to come out. So, you know, you might want to slow down. Uh, they're not quite there yet, but I, I do think that we'll, we'll eventually get to that point, especially in cities. I, I think that if you live... Out in the suburbs, it's going to be a little tougher. Upstate New York, for example, is uh, once you leave New York City and, and really Orange and Ulster County, it's very rural. Uh, there's a great deal of distance between a lot of things, and I think that the cars will have issues with that. Uh, whereas if it's a tightly packed and dense road network where you know the car has gone up and down it thousands of times, it, it knows what to account for, and uh, we'll see it. So it, it is coming. I just think that they got to work out some bugs. 
So what do you think would, would be first? Because I know there's prototypes of, uh, you know, both of these things, the, the self-driving car or the flying car. Like what's going to be massively available first? I think it'll be the flying car first, honestly. Uh, I think that the difference between the two is that you don't necessarily need the flying car to be driverless. I, I, they want it to be. I know that that's sort of the goal is that you, but it doesn't have to be. And for that reason, uh, roof space is plentiful. They already kind of have clearance because they're working with NASA. Uh, Uber is working with NASA and the FAA on it. So it, it's easier to implement than the self-driving car for that reason. The self-driving car really needs as much data as it can possibly get. The other thing is that it needs a, a high-density cell phone network. Uh, you know, We're just now getting 5G, and 5G isn't completely rolled out everywhere. It's only in yeah. certain spots. And for a self-driving car to really work, it, it needs high-span wireless internet. Uh, whereas, you know, we already have planes that fly themselves. That, that's the secret of the airline industry. So it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to have a, a flying car with a predetermined destination take you from one place to the next because there's no, uh, unless there's like a bird that gets in the way, there's really not a lot of interference that's, that's going to happen between yeah. point A and point B. And I mean, but for me, like a flying car, I think the whole appeal is like kind of the idea that, I can actually fly this thing. And maybe that's a bad thing because right. like I'm not properly <laughs> trained, but I feel like that's the appeal to a flying car is like I have, I get to have a similar experience that I've done for the last 15, 16 years or more driving. Uh, but I'm, it's in a whole new way by flying and I'm sure it gets old. I'm sure after a year you're like, all right, I just want to do it by itself. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I would want to be, in control of that flying car a lot of the Jetsons. Yeah. Well, that's that's what people are finding with the self-driving cars too. I think that a lot of the media coverage, because you got reporters who don't necessarily know any better. So a lot of their coverage is like self-driving cars are going to replace cars. And that's that's not really what's going to happen. You're going to have both. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll, have, you'll have either or. And probably what we'll see is like the self-driving cars will have their own lanes. Uh is really the only significant difference that we'll see. And you kind of see that now, like if you, so I've driven all over the country and like in LA, you know, they've, they've got yeah, the high occupancy yeah. vehicle lanes. That That's probably what you would see happen with the self-driving cars. With the flying cars, yeah, I mean, I, I think most people will probably want to fly themselves, but you're going to get people who are going to just want to get behind the wheel and explore and have fun. I think it's Infinity. I might, might have it wrong. There's a car commercial that just came out that, that's playing with that idea where they're kind of like, Sure, the car can take you places, mm -hmm. but it's not fun. You know, like a self-driving car doesn't know the fun of driving up uh, the 101 or whatever the road is that connects like Los Angeles to mm -hmm. some of the northern cities in California. It doesn't appreciate, you know, the coast and the Pacific and, and the breeze. And so, uh, yeah, you could probably just see both uh, at the same time. And you'll have, in the same way with like video games where I don't, th I don't know. I think we will have one device to kind of rule them all, but I don't know. If that necessarily means you'll you'll see like something like the switch vanish, I, I think there's always going to be that option of all right. Well, that thing is for the house, and that thing is for the subway, and I think people just like having options. Yeah, well, and I like the idea. Like uh, for me, like I as much as I you know don't like driving that much anymore because you know I used to do it for work all the time. Uh, I still like the idea of like going on road, like when we go out to the Poconos or something and just the scenery, that's where I like want to have 
complete i don't want to be distracted by uh, you know uh, a self-driving car where i can just sit there and play mario i would want to be concentrating on the drive itself for just the the scenery itself uh so yeah and but like my commute to work or like my commute to a baseball game or my commute to anywhere that's not really going to be visually uh that stunning like oh god please yeah just take control for me so i don't have to do any of this I mean that's that's sort of what I talk about in the in the privacy yeah. book that I just put out where uh you know one thing doesn't replace another they they're just going to coexist so you could have Facebook that you don't pay for and it creeps on you and you could have Facebook where for $8 a month it doesn't creep on you and so it, one doesn't replace the other they just they coexist and depending on what your needs are that's the thing that you use. Yeah. Now, because uh, so uh, let's talk about your let's go back to your writing again, because uh, I know like your your uh, how many like books you, I saw the two, the the social media one and the, uh, is the privacy one, the same one as the social media or is that separate? No. The, OK. Yeah. Two separate ones. So technically I've written three books. Okay. The third one was sort of ghostwritten okay. uh, for a tech company executive. But I don't know what the status of that is. It's done. He has it. Uh, and that's that's sort of all I know. But there, there's two that are available, and one is social media is bullshit, and the other is uh, privacy and how we get it back. So the, the privacy book is the new one. And and those you know are obviously they they uh, and I I'm have to assume based off of just our conversation the little bit I saw you know, your whole mall Santa gimmick. I assume there's got to be some humor <laughs> based in those books, but. Like, oh, yeah. like looking at your site, the, like the first article I saw there when I popped on today, just to like make sure I I, I was talking to the right guy, <laughs> was the you know it looks like a very like you're very humor based, because uh, you had what was your May first article? Uh, I'm blanking on it. I just I it was George Lucas, and to me, whenever anyone writes about George yeah. Lucas, <laughs> it's going to be humorous. So so is yeah. is that like where your your comfort level with writing is? Is in the in in the, like a truth but yeah humor. I, I like i just like stuff that, that's batshit crazy but it's also mm. honest at the same time so i mean social media is bullshit has a ton of jokes in it uh the end of privacy so i had to do something different with the privacy book the print edition has fewer jokes in it because it was put out by a british publisher uh and i didn't okay. have control over the final manuscript so what i did was i took all the jokes that were cut and put them in an audiobook over on Audible. So I highly recommend the, the uh, audio version over the print edition. Both are good, but uh, if you go to Audible, you, you could find the book under the end of privacy and there's dick jokes in it, but I'm also talking about like this really serious stuff. And I found that's when you talk about technology, it's it's easier if you have jokes. You know, if yeah. I if I found that if I use the word like algorithm uh, to a reporter, most of their eyes glaze over. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And they just don't want to talk about talk to you anymore. Like they just don't. But if you if you disguise it with jokes about pop brownies and Rush, uh, you know, then all of a sudden they'll be your best friend because it's funny and they and they want to put out. So all my stuff, like even the comics, uh, all have jokes in them. I try. Yeah, I really try to be as as humor based as I can. Um, I used to do stand up comedy. I'm working on getting back into it with the new book that I'm working on, and so. Uh, if you're not laughing, then you didn't get your money's worth with me. Well, and that's the, uh, you know, stand-up has got to be, I've had a buddy who did it for a little while. It's something that, like, I I want to dabble in, but before I do that, like, I, you know, A, as something to help me with podcasting and just doing live shows, uh, I want to take an improv course because I just think it would be fun. Uh, but then, I the, like, the step after that is I would love to go to, like, an open mic and just, like, 
just, you know, not care and see what happens. Um, how, so, so when you did stand up, like how so, long did you uh, that stand was the up first thing I ever really like did professionally did you go beyond that? Uh, I was too young. So what happened was I was too young to oh, wow. be booked on a lot of shows. Cause I was, I was, I was even 18 at the time that I started. I think I was just, just turning 17. And I was like, all right, if I book out your bar for the night, can I come and do comedy? It's so like, yeah, of course. Well, of course we'll take the money. So uh, I would I would book these shows up and down the East Coast of all <laughs> these different local bands and the bands would sell tickets. And so everyone would make money, and it, which was kind of great because, you know, if you're an indie band, you tend to get screwed over uh, by everybody. But I had the system worked out where everyone yeah. got paid. I didn't. Uh, I just used the money that I would have made to pay for the venue. And then I would come up and do my jokes uh, before the show. And then, you know, I would come in as the bands are setting up. Uh, to tell some jokes and introduce them. So I did that uh, for two or three years all over the East Coast. And then I started to do more and more public speaking, which is basically stand-up comedy, except you get paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's really the only difference. And so you know, I was at the United <laughs> Nations and I went to Moscow and I was in, uh, I was overseas in Wales and I was invited to do it over in like Malaysia and I've been all over the country uh, doing these. And I know, I, I think the trick to it is to have confidence in your material. And I didn't have confidence until maybe 2014, just to give you an idea of how long it took. You know, like I, I was like 97, 98. I was like, okay. uh, all right, I'm making a lot of dick and fart jokes and, and, uh, this is fine, but I never really knew if it hit or not. Um, cause you can never really tell, right. You don't feel confident in it until you've done enough shows. And so when yeah. I was in, um, New Orleans, I did a, a stand-up slash presentation, and uh, the audience had we were speaking three different languages, and so there was three different interpreters there that had to like interpret what I was saying, and when they all laughed at the same time, uh, I knew that I was good at what I did, and so that you know it took a really long time to get to that point, but um, once you have that, it's like the most refreshing thing ever because then you could just walk on stage and and not give a shit and, and just do what you're going to do and not worry about. Uh, your material bombing or not because you have confidence in it. So uh, I highly recommend doing an improv course first. I, I really think that everyone should do it. Uh, as from just from a like self help perspective, I think that it's it's very it's very freeing to do improv. It, it's very relaxing uh, as long as you don't you know you don't get too wrapped up in your head about oh my god I need the next joke. Um, just doing it is just great experience because one thing you'll find is as you're doing stand up, uh, you might have nights where you just don't want to tell the jokes that you had planned. And that's that's yeah. happened with me quite a bit. Where it's like, all right, I don't, I don't want to, like with social media. I don't want to talk about social media anymore. And so I was, I was just walking <laughs> out there, and I was talking about like the Civil War for a good ten or fifteen minutes, and that was like my set <laughs> was was just talking about like how ridiculous it was and how everyone thought when it first started that it was going to be like a big party. And so you had people from Washington going to Virginia with like picnic baskets, and they were bringing the family and the kids, and they were like, "Come on, we're going to watch a fight." Uh, and then, of course, it turned into like total chaos, and those people ran for their lives. And uh, you know, have, taking an improv course just sort of opened me up a bit to to just do that and switch gears. I, I think what's fascinating, uh, it will be one of my biggest takeaways from from talking to you today is, yeah, just call it, just go to a speaking event, call it, be a public speaker, and uh, you'll do stand up for more money. That's yeah, that's no, amazing. That's the big trick to it because I think so. Here's what I found: you can you have a choice. You can eat shit as a stand-up comedian and travel the country and perform in front of like two or three people and not get paid because the the owner decided to screw you out of your money. Or you can find a topic to talk about that you're really knowledgeable on and get people to pay you. And then when you show up, you just do your set. 
That's yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. And it, it makes a lot of sense. Like I'm uh, I would say I'm like uh, I know a little bit of everything, uh, a master of none type of deal, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, I uh uh, we just did for our first panel at a comic con the other uh this nice. yesterday uh wait it was today tuesday thank you sunday two days ago whatever it was uh and um it was you know it was really neat and like it's you know for me sitting around talking with friends is like my i can't i my my downfall with with stand up and that's why i want to do go to improv because it's more of a group activity but i know my downfall with stand up is like the the pressure of being up there on your own and same thing with doing like a like really a speaking event like uh, it's doing a panel my own would be like oh my god i'm gonna i can't do it and whenever i do my podcast live like i make sure i bring my best friend with me who just he sit there he sits there so that like I don't have to fail at telling jokes. I can just talk to him if I feel like we're failing. Uh, and uh, so that, yeah, the panel was like, you know, it, it was just, you know, uh, me and four other guys, four friends. And we just sat around talking about Marvel and it was, uh, it was super exciting. And, and it, you know, obviously there's a lot of things I learned that we have to do differently, but like it's opened up this new path for me that I was like, all right, we're going to do panels all the time now. Yeah, you totally should. I, I think it's, I, I love, panels just in, at the comic conventions in general, but I, I found that a lot of them don't put the work in. I'm, try, I'm yeah. trying to be polite. Like I'm trying to be like, uh, they might just show up and be like, Hey, here's a panel. Um, <laughs> and yeah. you wasted your time going to it. But if you keep putting into working and doing more of it, and, and I think that's great. I think that's excellent. Cause then you, you'll put on a good show. That's all people mm. really want. I mean, that's, that's the trick yeah. to everything I do, right? It's, it's all a big show. Uh, you know, I, I, I joke about being an atheist. I joke about like my porn habits, but at the same time, I'm teaching you stuff about privacy and social media and, and all these other things. And so I think it's all about how much work you put into it. So if you keep practicing and keep at it, you'll do some great panels. And I, I'm excited for people to come check you guys out. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that like last year I was like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. Like, cause, like I had a friend who is does a podcast and um, he, he kind of created this video game game show uh, and he was taking it to different like little small like like not big city uh, comic cons and then he went to wizard world is one of the bigger ones that comes to philadelphia and uh he was there i was like wait a second if he can do this at wizard world i could certainly go somewhere and talk for an hour like at a little little rinky dinky one and that was like all right in 2017 i said 2018 we're going to do a panel and and we were able to do it and uh yeah it's it's definitely you know it was we were underprepared simply because of like the 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 there was some miscommunication with like their automated system and and emails not going out so literally like the day of was like like when things were really finalized uh so <laughs> it was like all right well i have to throw out all this other stuff i had i kind of had in the back of my mind because i didn't prepare for it but like it, it, i it, i know now like okay i need to bring xyz and i know that i want to do abc at the next panel so yeah i'm really excited to to kind of grow in that um aspect of it and uh of like my i don't want to say my my uh my public speaking events because i i don't get paid uh (laughs) what a public speaker should get paid i i like to just do like my the live shows just like just going around talking to friends basically in front of people who who do not pay uh anything (laughs) so well these everything counts i mean everything counts the more panels you do the more likely you are to be invited 
uh, to do other speaking yeah. events on your own. Well, so maybe you could all, well, all build. And if, I'm, if I'm being honest, the ultimate goal is to be the the Philadelphia's version of Chris Hardwick. Like, I just want to moderate. Nice. I want to moderate panels. I want to talk about TV shows. If I get paid for it, great. Uh, you know, but I just want to be that guy in Philadelphia, at least. Uh, That'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what now? You we you briefly mentioned it, and and it rekindled my memory of reading something probably in like your Twitter bio. Uh, you do comics as well, like little web comics, right? Yeah. Uh, so I have two. Well, I have one that's out on on Comicsology right now, uh, oh, okay. and I, ha- I have a self help slash memoir slash batch of crazy funny comic book coming out in June. Uh, which will also be on the Comicsology, and, and both comics are there for two ninety nine because I, I just feel weird charging more than that. Oh, so they're not. So they're they're. I I uh, I lowballed it. It's not a web comic. It's not. It's not that filth. It's actual. <laughs> it's actual comic books. Actual comics. Uh, <laughs> so uh, are they available only digitally, or can you get them in print as well? So the the uh, self help one will be out in print. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to do web comics, so I I spent uh, since. 2002 until about maybe a year ago two years ago mm-hmm. i did web comics so uh I, I certainly have a love and affection for that uh, world but yeah these are these are the real deal uh vengeance nevada is too expensive to put out in print yeah uh the other thing is i self-fund all my books oh wow okay and so i'm very careful about the reason why like the self-help one is going to be printed and vengeance nevada is not is because i know i can sell the self-help book easily like i could just i could just do all the traditional media that you would to sell a self-help book, mm. except it's a comic book. Uh, whereas with Vengeance Nevada, it was kind of like, I don't even know what's going to happen with us. So uh, I put it out there and I'm kind of waiting to see what the sales are. And I should know in a month or so, because they, they give you this stuff. Oh, okay, quarterly. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I I should say my comment about web comics was a complete joke because I do love web comics myself. Like I, I, I mean, I grew up on like, uh, like news. Uh, oh God, I forget the what new uh, where they had that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, uh, Penny Arcade and like Cyanide and Happiness. Uh, just ones off the top of my head that I'm remembering. Yeah, I, I like, I, and that was actually like we tried starting one ourselves. Like probably 15 years ago in the infancy of the of the web or at least you know for us it was the infancy of the web and um it, yeah it's it is a uh when you don't have any artistic ability it is a uh, very hard medium to to get into um but yeah i love the the world of web comics and comic books and stuff so that's uh really exciting to hear uh that not only did you start in web comics but you got to to digital slash print uh, and self self published uh, is 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 uh, something that I'm really a fan of. Like in this world, uh, you know, in, in 2018, you know, just being like a you know, in new media, being able to produce your own content and and not really have to worry about anyone else to to put it out is like the coolest thing about technology. Yeah, it's, right it's kind now. of funny because if you go back like 10, 15 years ago, if you said I'm going to self-publish a book. People will be like, you know, like, like, yeah, you're not good enough <laughs> yeah. to get your book actually published. Whereas now, if you put out, if you would self-publish a book, people are like, all right, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Because uh, the publishing industry is too busy eating itself to, to really give all the people an opportunity that should get an opportunity. And so, yeah, that was kind of my mindset with putting both of these books out where I was just like, I could pitch it to Image. I can go through an agent and do all the all the big shot stuff. But I why? I keep the money. Yeah. If it's two ninety nine, you know, Amazon gets. I think they get a dollar, and then I keep the rest. So why on earth would I give up the money to anyone else? 
when I could just put it out on Comixology. It, it makes no sense, to, uh, aside from not having it in comic book stores. But even then, you have to deal with Diamond. I don't know if this is too in the weeds, but then you have to deal with Diamond. And you have to deal with like the comic retailers putting in the order in the right time. And if they don't do it, then your book doesn't get like, there's so many, there's so much shit you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Go through the appropriate channels. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I think it's great, but I just didn't want to do that. I just want to put out books and have fun. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, being able to just self-publish in this day and age is great. Yeah. And it's, it is. I remember when, uh, my, my buddy who writes a fantasy series, when he published his first book, God, it's gotta be, I feel like it's, I feel like it's at least 10 years ago. Uh, when he published his first book, it was like, he did, he did it. He looked for, for traditional publishers and obviously he got turned away a lot because he didn't have a real agent, um, or anything. Uh, and he ultimately went through Amazon to, to self publish. Uh, and he like felt dirty about it. I was like, dude, that's rock and roll, man. Like I, I was, uh, you know, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. So like the idea of of indie is like big for me. And it has been since, you know, I'd say realistically, you know, uh, even though I've watched his films, you know, in the, in the late nineties, I became a super fan, like in the, in the mid two thousands. Um, and ever since then, I've, I've always been like, you know, I love indie and, 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 you know, I've been podcasting for over 10 years. Podcasting is like the, I think the definition of being an indie artist right now, like it's the modern day, indie filmmaker is is a indie podcast, i mean i'm right the same thing. way with uh with kevin smith he and i now have uh both have, well he didn't quite have heart surgery he had intervention uh but he and i are both in that club now so uh yeah so he and i oh, wow. have a lot in common these days but yeah I, I was a huge fan of his in the 90s you know what's interesting though is that yep i, I completely lost my point <laughs> you know you know what it is, is i was thinking of kevin smith and it started taking me on like uh, a lot of you on the thought chain of weed and then fat man on Batman and then Mark Bernard and what a big fan I am of his. And I just completely yeah. lost where I was going oh, with yeah. that. But yeah, no, I think indie being indie. Oh yes. All right. It's back. It's back. Okay. This is the example <laughs> yeah. I give everybody Metallica, which is the world's at least for the past 40 years, the world's most successful touring musical act. You know, how did they get their start by handing out bootleg cassette tapes of them singing other people's stuff? That's, yeah, that's yeah. that was the story of how Metallica got picked up. I mean, that's so if that's how they started, there's no shame to self-publish something. There's no shame in you know doing your own podcast or anything. It, it, we all have to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I said. I mean, especially in like this this day and age where it's never been easier to do all that stuff. Like, it's uh, it's it's so easy to get your voice out there, whether it be writing, podcasting, filmmaking. Even uh, it's still probably the most expensive way to go with filmmaking. But you know, it's it's just it's all easier to do in in 2018. And uh, I'm such a fan of when people are like just self self made publishers of, of whatever um, they do. My, so my goal, you know, it. Very big on goal setting. So my goal for next year is yes. to be completely self-sufficient so that I'm bringing in money through like the comics and the audio books. And then I got like a, a short mm-hmm. story thing that's going to go out on the Kindle uh, this summer. And so if I can just be completely self-sufficient doing that, I will be absolutely thrilled. Well, I think what's interesting, uh, and we'll kind of end on this note, is uh, when I was looking, because I, 
I try to leave <laughs> social media as the last resort to contact someone about doing an interview. I feel like it's a slightly more professional to go through an email if I can. And uh, so that's like one of the reasons I, I went to like I, I hunted, did the did, went down the rabbit hole through your Twitter to your website and stuff. And I think it's super interesting that like you you don't go through like an agent or a manager. Yeah, anymore, I have right? those like, You just kind of handle everything yourself as far as like uh, you as a person. You know, like I just I have an agent, but to me oh, it's oh, like what? okay, so. Uh, just to give you an idea of like timeline for stuff. So social media is bullshit. I started working on it in 2009, 2010, and uh, I got an agent in 2011. It took a full year. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I got the agent in 2010. It took a full year of him and I going back and forth to get the proposal where we wanted it to send it to publishers. Uh, I was lucky it sold quickly, but then you know it was another year of writing it and then uh, another year just sitting around waiting for them to release it. I could do that. That's fine. But why on earth would I do that when I could just put out an audiobook, which I did? So the audio version of uh, The End of Privacy is I published that myself. That wasn't put out by the, the privacy publisher uh, over in the UK. Why Why can't I just yeah. do that, release it myself, and I make way more money? Like every time someone buys an audiobook, I make something like $8, which, is, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you look at the royalties that you get from like traditional book sales or even from what I'm making when people buy Vengeance Nevada on Comixology, I'm making a ton of money off of just putting out that audiobook. So why why yeah. on earth would I spend two years of my life going through the agent, going to the publishers, sitting around waiting, and then having to deal with all their edits and everything when in a year's time I can put out a pretty good product on my own and just keep the money for myself? Yeah, no, and, and that's, you know, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it's not that I would say I would ever have the opportunity to have a, a, an agent uh, at this point because I've never gone beyond really podcasting. But uh, it, it's one of the things is like, why? They, whenever I think about bigger projects, it's like, well, I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. It's like, And then I try to think back to like stories like yours or just my podcasting roots and my indie roots. Like, just do it yourself, man. Just so that's like, and that's always the biggest hurdle is, 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 you know, all right, stop being lazy. That's, that's the problem yeah. when you do it yourself is you're your own worst enemy. At, it's at consistency the same time. too. Like I, I found, I had this list yeah. of like 10,000 podcasters uh, that I had for another project. And I, I noticed that about 4,000 of them just dropped off the map. Yeah, you know, like they just gave up yeah. about like a year in or six months in. They were like, this is stupid and abandoned it. Uh, it's the people that show up every day and, and keep at it that, that succeed. And the, what's awesome about podcasting is whenever I talk to like new pot, newer podcasters and whatnot, and like they say, yeah, we're just about to hit our 10th episode. You know, we haven't been around long. I'm like, no, 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 man. Applaud that because like every podcast that starts, there's a thousand of them that start episode one. You're lucky if half of them even get to episode right. 10. And then from there, you're lucky if even half of those get to episode 50. So like just the fact that you're episode 10 and like someone I was talking to hit episode 200, which I, I would say in the combined years of, of podcasting, I've obviously done more than that. But like I've never had a show of my own that I produced hit that number. Like I've always kind of just stopped or changed shows or took a break because of the kids. Like usually I think 150 episodes or 160 was like my high mark. Uh, and, and so I, I'm like, dude, take that 200 episodes. Like I'm more proud of you for hitting 200 than for me hitting 10 years. Cause I, I was inconsistent for 10 years. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love when people like new, when I get to talk to new podcasters, I just love like dropping that little science bomb on them about, about like podcasting facts. Cause it just, I think it helps them continue on. It does. I, th I think it's it's very rewarding for them to hear that because they, they don't often do. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, uh, BJ, uh, what do you have coming out that you want people to know about? And then any social media or whatever, uh, if you don't want to, if you want to <laughs> curse social media some more, uh, where can people find you, not find you? Uh, best place best is bjmendelson.com. They could just email me. I, you know, I use, if you're into comic books and professional wrestling, uh, particularly like women's professional wrestling, oh then it's okay to follow me on Twitter because that's all I all I tweet about. And that's just <laughs> at BJ Mendelson. But if you're not into those things, don't follow me. Don't waste your time. Uh, I give out my phone number, honestly. I, you know, I prefer people don't call me. But... Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah so I like, saw you here's, do this. <laughs> So everyone listening, um, if you can, you can text me the word sheetrock, which is spelled exactly as it sounds, sheetrock. And if you text it to 646-331- Eight three four one. Yes, that's my actual number, and yes, I actually do send everyone the book. There's no bot or automation or anything like that. It's six four six three three one eight three four one. That's the best way to reach me, and that's how I keep in touch with everyone. Is they just send me a text and I text them back. And you know what? The reason why I do it, I think this is important, is that when you post something on social media, nobody really sees it. You know, on Facebook, you got to pay for yeah. people to see it. On Twitter, they have an algorithm. On Instagram, there's an algorithm. So not as many people as you think are even seeing your posts. Whereas if you text me, I'll text you right back. It might take me a little bit, but I- I'm writing you right back. And I know that you're going to see it. So uh, that's where people can find me. And the thing I want to promote is uh, if you go to yourprivacybook.com, it'll take you to the Amazon page with two options, the audiobook and the print edition. It's yourprivacybook.com. And it's like 10 bucks. So I- hopefully people will check it out and enjoy it. And uh, if you want to keep up with my comics, just uh, go to bjmendelson.com. Excellent, BJ. Thanks for doing the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I, I think I, I, the fact that we didn't talk about wrestling blows my mind. So, <laughs> next uh, yeah, next time you're on the show, that could be a whole rabbit hole we go down. Awesome. My audience might be sick and tired of it, but you know what? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do an episode for you, you know, so uh, next time we'll have you on. We'll, we'll, we'll go down that rabbit hole and whatever other projects you have. That'll be uh, great. Thanks for doing the show again. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Big thanks to BJ Mendelson for being on the show. Um, as he said, he will, uh, he'll text you back. He prefers text messaging as his preferred method of uh, connecting with his fans. So text sheetrock to 646-331-8341. Again, that's 646-331-8341. Text sheetrock to that number. Uh, and not only will you get a free, uh, a free book, you'll also have instant connection to bj mendelson and uh you can go to bjmendelson.com for for everything that he's doing and, and all the links and all these things that he's talked about will be in the show notes of course um again uh real quick note uh, support us man uh, thank you you already support us by listening to us you um you're still here at the end of the show listening to to this uh to me just go on and on and on about things and um i, I thank you for, if you're still hanging out at the end of the show uh you're, you're a true fan uh and and i love you for that and thank you for taking an hour or so out of your day and listening to us you could be doing anything with this hour and you chose to listen to everything is awesome to kev and to and to this week to bj mendelson so thank you for that. Uh, if you can continue supporting this show to help us grow, um, I want to be quick with these three places that you can do that. Patreon.com slash that entertains iTunes, five star ratings and reviews. Apple math does wonders. And of course, word of mouth recommendations, just you put it on when you have a friend in the car, tell a buddy about it. Um, and, and we'd really enjoy that. And just a reminder, um, the Philadelphia podcast fest, everything is awesome. We'll be performing on July 1st, 
at 1 p.m. at the Tattooed Mom venue. Uh, we're kicking off the last day of the festival. I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, I'm in the process of booking the show now, so as we kick into the uh, the Philadelphia Podcast Festival celebration uh, with these in the month of June, really, uh, we'll have more announcements about our guests. So uh, thank you for listening, and you know what? I haven't been awesome. You haven't been awesome. We've been awesome right here on awesomepodcast.com, part of the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network. To listen to more Core Temp Arts shows, visit coretemparts.com.